Hello and welcome. Bienvenido. And assalamu alaikum. Welcome to AO Access to Success, the podcast series developed by the AO Access Task Forces to broaden your perspectives for personal and professional development. Today's podcast is hosted by Dr. Matthew Allen, the lead for the AO Access Task Force Officer and Faculty Selection Processes. My name is Matthew Allen. I'm Professor of Small Animal Surgery at the University of Cambridge in the United Kingdom. Today, we are working with the AO Access Officer and Faculty Selection Process Task Force, looking at dimensions of leadership. With me as co-host today for this podcast is Dr. Lynette Spaulding. Lynette, can I ask you to introduce yourself to the audience? Of course. Hello, Matthew. Um, my name's Lynette Spaulding. I'm a UK trainee in trauma and orthopaedic surgery and a member of the AO Access Mentorship Task Force. As a trainee rotating through multiple departments, I've seen and experienced the effect of many different leaders as a snapshot in time rather than seeing the progression of their leadership within a department. The opportunity to explore the evolution of leadership whilst working with these AO task forces is priceless in forming my development as a leader, whilst also allowing me to contribute to the development of others. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, this is an exciting day, the first podcast in the AO Access to Success series, looking to facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of leadership. As such, we're delighted to have as our first guest in the series, Rustin Moore, Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine at The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. Dean Rustin Moore is a proud native of West Virginia, completing his undergraduate degree at West Virginia University. He then moved to the Ohio State University, where he completed a four-year veterinary degree, followed by residency training in large animal surgery and a PhD. After 12 years on the faculty at the Louisiana State University School of Veterinary Medicine, Rustin came back to Columbus. He held the position of chair of the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences from 2006. In 2014, he was appointed Associate Executive Dean, and in 2015, he was appointed Dean of the College of Veterinary Medicine. Outside clinical service and over 120 research publications, Rustin has held a number of leadership positions within professional societies, including the American College of Veterinary Surgeons and the American Association of Equine Practitioners. This podcast will offer personal reflection and insights relevant to both senior faculty who are looking for leadership opportunities and to trainees and junior faculty who are looking to navigate through the sometimes choppy waters of clinical practice and professional development. While Rustin's background is as a veterinarian, he collaborates closely with deans in other health sciences programmes at Ohio State, so he is well positioned to provide a perspective on the challenges faced by medicine, veterinary medicine, dentistry, nursing and the allied health professions. Rustin, welcome to this podcast and thank you again for agreeing to participate. Thank you, Lynette and Matthew, for inviting me to participate in this inaugural podcast in the AO Access to Success series. I look forward to our conversation and sharing my experiences with you and others. Thank you both for taking a leadership role in helping to advance the AO organization, and I am very pleased to be here with you today. Thank you, Rustin. We know from the business world just how vitally important the culture of an organization is to its sustainability and to its success. 
Within the healthcare sector, which is of course where AO positions, there are often entrenched values and attitudes. The survey of the AO faculty conducted in 2019 identified a number of challenges within our organisation and the AO Access Programme has been actively exploring best practices for trying to address these challenges. It will be fascinating to hear Rustin's perspectives on the importance of leadership in supporting professional growth and establishing a sense of community, purpose and care. So Rustin, I'd like to start by talking about how you developed into being a leader. Was this something that you always knew you had an interest in or a skill set regarding? Or was this something that developed with time as you progressed through your career? I guess I have always been involved in leadership going back into pre-college days, all the way back into high school and even before that, um, serving as, you know, president of organizations, president of the class in in high school and in, in veterinary school. But I I don't know that I ever really felt like I was involved in leadership. It wasn't like I was seeking out the leadership. It was more to sort of serve others and to move whatever club or organization or initiative forward. Um, As many of us probably on this uh, call that that are listening, uh, very few of us probably have any advanced training in leadership formal training. However, many people here have advanced training in medicine and research or surgery and research. And so many times leadership, I believe, is an on-the-job training, learning skill that you develop. And so I believe that most of my leadership skills are by trial and error and by learning from uh, emulating others that I think uh, are good leaders Uh, And then also doing some of the, you know, official types of trainings or readings or other ways to advance my leadership skills. On top of the points that you've raised about some formal leadership training and also taking on roles where you were looking more to progress the organization that you were working for, were there any colleagues or people that you worked with that have facilitated your development into a leader? Absolutely. I, I think most of my learnings uh, about leadership have come from emulating other people who I thought were outstanding leaders. Uh, those people uh, taking me under their wing either because I asked or they maybe saw some glimmer of hope. And so, you know, a lot of that was by observation. A lot of it was also by asking questions. And then also, you know, trying to study it. I mean, and I, I, I have done a lot of study of leadership, whether it's uh, reading books, listening to TED Talks or other audio visuals. I have uh, throughout my career on more than one occasion accessed a uh, leadership development coach that was sort of uh, customized for what I was looking for. Certainly those who I worked for at the time uh, and even when I became dean, the provost's office as part of my startup as dean offered leadership coaching and then I was able to continue that. So I think it's really important because it's a lifelong learning. I think just like medicine or veterinary medicine or whatever it is, you're, you're constantly learning. And if you don't continually learn and adapt, Uh, you probably won't grow and be as effective of a leader as you need to be. And not every organization needs you to be the same type of leader. I also would say that even though people might not think 
they want to be in a formal leadership role, everybody plays leadership roles situationally. And so learning leadership, which can be communication, conflict resolution, coaching, giving feedback, all those things are very important, whether you're in an official or formal leadership role or whether you're not. So those things I think are are really important. And the final thing I'll say there is uh, I've gone through this a few times and I won't say it's necessarily pleasant, but, but getting a 360 degree feedback where you're getting feedback from those who might report to you, those that might be two or three levels down uh, that don't report directly to you, but somehow you're impacting to your peers, to those that you report to, et cetera. Getting that feedback periodically is really important. And, And the thing that I have found doing it on my own where you just get the feedback and then you just get it and then you just sit there and you usually focus on the negative and say, how am I going to use this information? What I have found is the leadership coaches that I've had have helped with clarity of what is being said in that feedback and distilling it down into three or four key areas to focus on one's strengths and also to address, you know, in my case, what I needed to work on to do a better job. And I think as long as all of us approach that in our leadership roles, whether formal or informal, we will all grow and evolve into more effective leaders. It's interesting to hear you talk about wanting to learn from leaders around you and to emulate some of the key leaders that you've worked with. Are there any particular characteristics that you most admire in leaders that you've worked with? Absolutely. There are characteristics and traits or attributes of leaders that I tend to to be drawn to or that resonate with me and that I want to try to emulate as a leader. There are many types of leaders and many types of leadership, and no one type is better than the other. That's one thing I have learned uh, over and over again. But I will say that I relate more to those type of people who seem to be authentic, uh, genuine, modest, and not boastful. I uh, personally am not comfortable being <laughs> charismatic, uh, you know, out there. And I don't mean this in a, in a bad way, but I tend to be an introvert, not an extrovert. So I'm more about the organization, more about the team, more about we than me. And so I uh, really have resonated with and, and connected myself with, with people that I think I can be more like, because one thing that you can't be, or at least I can't be, I can't be a type of leader that I'm not. Uh, So I can't be a charismatic, boastful sort of person. That's just not in me. So I think it's doing and saying things that demonstrates respect for others, that uh, earns trust, that instills hope and optimism in the future. Uh, I think it's leaders who want to serve the organization rather than serving themselves in the positions that I've been in leadership roles, formal leadership roles, one was chair of the Department of Veterinary Clinical Sciences, which is I I was in for almost eight years and now Dean, uh, which is uh, about six years. And I focus on the position and the job and what it entails. I'm not looking for the next job. And that's something I think to me is, is really important. I also think You can be modest, but also have a bold vision, but also a can-do attitude so that if you're thinking boldly and people say, yeah, but we don't have any money, we can't do that or this or that, you you have to, I think, think beyond that or or, I'm not saying 
ignore it, but tune out the negativity or the naysayers to focus on that bold vision. I also think persistence and perseverance are quite important to be able to achieve the goals for the organization that you're serving, doing the right thing for the people in the program, treating people appropriately, helping them advance their own careers, and also engaging others in the process and being an active listener. You know, many times when people identify problems, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do more recently is I, and I've asked this respectfully, please do not bring problems and lay them at my feet. If you're going to bring me problems, bring me a list of possible solutions because you, whoever you might be, are probably closer to the situation and the problem than I am and probably have a lot better idea what those possible solutions could be. So I I think part of that is to engaging them and giving them some ownership and responsibility in helping find the solution that best fits the problem that they've identified. So in terms of leadership style, do you think that everybody has their own inherent style and can that be altered by input like for example, uh, leadership coaching? Or is it just a case of honing the skill set that you do have rather than being able to develop different styles with time, experience and training? Very good question. And I won't pretend to be an expert on leadership or leadership styles. I do believe that people do have some sort of uh, innate or some learned leadership approaches or styles. I believe that some people, many people probably can morph. I think we all probably morph a little bit from situation to situation. So for example, I can be a certain type of leader as the dean here at the college, but then simultaneously I'm a leader at the university when I'm together with other deans. Now you could say I'm a follower because I'm there with those deans with say the provost, But I think your style of leadership does morph some. However, I I don't think that in my case, mine swings broadly or widely from being a, you know, a very out there, extroverted, boastful, charismatic sort of person to the other way, because that I'm not comfortable with that. I think people can learn and they can change, uh, at least, you know, within sort of their their comfort zone. So are there any other characteristics or traits around leadership that you feel are important on top of what we've discussed already? Sure. I I think there are a few other things, and I'm sure there are many more than what what I have mentioned. But one thing I think is important, uh, and I've learned this uh, sometimes the hard way, is to learn to delegate. I think it's really important to delegate certain things to certain people, but also then to get out of their way and to let them do it and not to hover or not to micromanage. You know, if you've given them the correct instructions for that task with a certain deadline and what you expect as a deliverable, if they don't deliver it on time or whatever, then providing feedback can be helpful. But I I think don't delegate and then do it yourself or don't delegate and then hover and, and constantly bombard them with, where are you? What do you need? You know, can I help you? That sort of thing. The other, and this can sometimes even be uh, when I listen to people speak presenting research, when I hear my lab or I did this or I did that, it really bothers me because I know that person didn't do that work on their own. 
and it's about we or, or our lab. And so I think the other thing that's really important is to give credit for successes to others and accept responsibility for mistakes or failures yourself, even if it wasn't your own doing, because it does no one any good to blame somebody else for a failure or a mistake. We all make mistakes. Just, you know, accept the responsibility, move on. Maybe there's an opportunity for a coaching moment with that person or that group of people. And then the other thing I think is if you're the leader of a group, an organization, a committee or whatever, and if you have any control over who you surround yourself with on that committee or on your leadership team, I believe it's really important to find people who maybe think differently than you and have different perspectives and to ask them to continually check or challenge you, not in an unprofessional way, but to check. Because I think the value of diversity is bringing those different experiences and perspectives together. And only through that, I think, are we going to make the best decisions with a broad array of of input from people who have feelings, perspectives, experiences that are different from you. And the final thing I think for leaders is understanding the value and importance of mentorship for those around you, whether they're trainees, whether they're junior faculty, you know, maybe they're new members to a board or an association, you know, helping mentor them, offering to, to do that or finding someone that they could relate to can be very helpful. So those would be some of the other things that I think are important characteristics or things that a leader can do to be successful. Rustin, I know from the, the, the six years I spent as a member of your faculty here at Ohio State, just how important faculty development is and how much of an advocate you are for the importance of faculty development. Now that you're in a position of senior leadership, how do you go about identifying individuals best suited for leadership and, and what steps do you take to support their development within the organization? I have believed a long time in the importance of both professional and leadership development for faculty, staff, and and others, uh, at least in in my domain. And, you know, I I think it's important because these principles can be applied in so many ways, regardless of the position that someone may be in or that they may be pursuing in the near future or sometime down the road in their career. How do I know or suggest leadership opportunities for faculty or others there's a few different ways. One is if a faculty member or you know a staff member expresses to me their interest in pursuing some sort sort of leadership or professional development training, then you know I listen to that and I try to ask them questions because there are different types of trainings and you know it's always important to help them choose the right one depending on what the outcome is that they want. I also think of leadership training in two ways leadership development, and I think of as interventional leadership coaching. So I'm focusing now on what I'm going to respond to on how people can grow as leaders, either because they want to, or because I see potential in them to grow as a leader. So when I do that, I I think there are a variety of ways. Here at Ohio State at the university level, we have a number of leadership programs that are available for faculty and staff. Some are together, some are separate. And so when given an opportunity to nominate faculty, I usually take that opportunity and try to nominate faculty that um, have, again, either expressed an interest or I think would benefit from, or it might help them in their next move along their career. So those are you know, group leadership opportunities. 
There's also ones outside of the university, such as through professional associations like the American College of Veterinary Surgeons, American Association of Veterinary Medical Colleges, and many others. And so those types of things are, are very beneficial and really are customized to a different audience. So you really have to pick and choose who you send to what based upon what it is they're trying to get out of it. The thing that I have really focused on a lot, at least since I've been the dean, is I have tried to identify people and ask them if they would be interested in leadership training. And then I go into explaining the different types. Most of what I have done is offered them a professional leadership coach. I describe to them what it entails, and it's based upon my experiences going through it. So the typical one, and then they're all a little different, but the typical one involves me asking someone at the Central University in Human Resources to do what's called an intake. And they do an intake with that faculty member or staff member, and they do an intake with me or that person's supervisor to learn what it is that that faculty or staff member wants to get out of the experience and what we want them to get out of it. Then they they usually uh, bring forward three external coaches that are contract coaches. So they're not employees of the university, but they're contracted. And the person who is going to be getting coached gets to choose which one they resonate with. If none of them resonate, they'll get another slate of them to see who resonates with them. But what I say is I will support you for 10 hours of coaching. Those are usually in 30-minute to 60-minute sessions, so it's not 10 hours of, uh, of straight coaching. And part of that involves a robust 360 feedback. And then the coach helps digest the 360 and, you know, not just describes the strengths and the areas of, of uh, possible improvement, but what we try to also do is allow them to utilize that coach in working through real life or real work-related issues or topics that they are facing as a faculty member or a staff member or a leader in, in, a, in a group. And that tends to work uh, very positively. And sometimes we've gone on after those 10 uh, hours and allowed ongoing coaching. And that's a mutual decision between myself and the supervisor of whoever that is and the coach and the, the, the person being coached. I think you bring up a really interesting point, which is that, you know, many of the organizations we work with, um, we may be in positions of leadership or aspirationally uh, in leadership positions, but there may not be a clear pathway for how we're going to get that training. And it's important that individuals look to their home institutions, their, their practices or whatever structures they work within to try and take advantage of these opportunities. There are opportunities out there. And it seems that from what you're saying and from what I, my experience as well, that, you know, there is no particular one course that will teach you how to become an AO leader. So take advantage of these opportunities wherever they exist in your life, your professional life, personal life, coaching and leadership training, uh, and then be able to bring those rewards back then to AO and to other organizations that you work with. It's very interesting hearing you both talk about being in senior leadership positions and the journey to get there and what training and the like is available. So viewing things from a more junior perspective, um, as a trainee interested in leadership roles, I'd be very interested to hear what advice would you give yourself as a trainee 20 years ago? That's a, a very interesting and pertinent question that I think causes a lot of reflection and probably something we all should do particularly those of us involved in 
leadership and mentoring and coaching of trainees. I can think back to the time I was a veterinary student. I was the class president. I can think back to when I was a resident and graduate student. And I can remember that I had these ideas of what could have been done, should have been done, et cetera. And what I learned as I think back about some of those situations, most of the times those situations or circumstances are much more complex or at least a bit more complex than might have appeared to the eye. Because as leaders, we oftentimes, for various reasons, can't divulge all sorts of information, particularly if it's personnel information uh, or something like that. So I think it's, for me, it had if I could look back and say, Rustin, uh, 20 years ago, you should have done this or that. I think one would have been to, to maybe make sure that I understood that the issues are more complex than they might have seemed, that you, i.e. me, might not have had all the information to understand the decision that was made or to even make the decision that you think you would have made. Um, and I also think, you know, there has to be a, a level of trust that a trainee has in whoever it is that is providing leadership and or mentorship to them that the right decision is being made based upon all available information. So I think that's one thing for me. Following on from that, what do you think that faculty and students should expect from their leadership? I think it's critical that they expect and that they get honesty. Honesty and transparency are not the same thing. Um, honesty means you're telling the truth. Transparency means you're sharing, in my mind, it means you're sharing truthful information, but you may not be able to share everything that people think you need to share because of protected information. Uh, so I think honesty, uh, I think respect, and that's a two-way thing. I mean, we as leaders need to uh, demonstrate respect to our trainees. We need to conduct ourselves and make our decisions with integrity. We really need to engage them because we need to hear from their perspective, whether it's an individual trainee or whether it's a group of trainees, you know, maybe it's the coordinator of a residency training program, or it's the the faculty with a lab of five PhD students or whatever it is. It, you know, we need to hear collectively uh, as well as individually, but it's not just engaging them, it's actually listening to them. And listening to understand, not just listening and pretending that you're hearing, because there's a lot of things that can be shared that can be helpful in making adjustments to either the way someone is mentoring or coaching their graduate students or residents, but also to the greater program, things that people have experienced that can be remedied so that people that follow them in the program can benefit from it. So, you know, I, I think it's open, regular dialogue, it's regular communication, and when decisions are made, they need to be communicated, whatever they are, and to the extent possible, explain why that decision was made. Uh, again, knowing that some information may not be able to be shared depending upon the nature of, of the situation. We'd like to thank Rustin for joining us today, for sharing his experiences with leadership and with life with this audience. 
Thank you for listening to the AO Access to Success podcast series. Be sure to visit our webpage to facilitate your personal and professional development by exploring dimensions of leadership at AO Foundation. Who we are, about AO, AO Access. To join the conversation. Thank you.